Welcome to Time to Do More, a brand new podcast about the individuals and organisations who are fighting climate change or working to improve our society in a particular way. These are the people who are stepping up and doing more to drive real change in their respective fields. We'll be featuring interviews with industry leaders as well as grassroots activists to find out about the innovative strategies, inventions and day-to-day actions that are successfully being used to make life happier, healthier, more sustainable and better for our communities. I'm Gary Elliott, your podcast host. I'm an engineer and the founder of Elliott Wood, a civil and structural engineering practice. I hope you enjoy the interviews. We've got a great lineup of interesting people who work in the built environment, as well as those in other fields, to find out what we can learn from different sectors. No one has all the answers, but in sharing ideas and solutions, we can help each other to do more and respond better to the climate crisis. For our first interview, I'm speaking to Richard Baldwin of Derwent, a developer whose purpose is to help improve and upgrade the stock of office space in central London, whilst bringing social, environmental and economic benefits to all its stakeholders. They've just completed the first major net zero carbon and all electric development in London, 80 Charlotte Street. Richard is a chartered quantity surveyor by training and joined Dermot London in 2011. Last January, he became its director of development. He has over 30 years experience in the central London office market and is responsible for the successful delivery of Derwent's refurbishment and new build projects. So Richard, thank you very much for joining me. The past year has obviously been very difficult for a number of reasons, but how do you see the future of the work environment? At the heart of it, we just kind of believe that the the office is a home uh, for collaborative working. Uh, And through that collaborative working, you get innovation, you get serendipity, uh, you get coaching, you get mentoring, um, and uh, you get variety. Uh, mm. You know, I think working at home, it's a fairly continuous stream of Zoom stroke team meetings stroke phone calls and all of the frustrations of not being able to get hold of the right people, uh, people not being available at the right times. And, um, you know, Definitely, in my view, the whole working uh, working from home thing uh, is now becoming more and more inefficient and more and more ineffective. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally get it that there are certain people who perhaps spend all day sitting at, comu- at a computer processing data, you know, might be invoicing or accounts payable or stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff that immediately comes to mind. Uh, I kind of get it that, you know, if they can sit up, they, all they're doing is coming to the office, sitting in front of a computer seven or eight hours a day, uh, bashing out stuff and then going home. I get it that, yeah, subject to the right kind of level of technology in their home, they may well be saying, oh, actually, I prefer to work from home, mm. um, which I, I suppose leads to one of our one of our beliefs about, you know, offices post-COVID, that they have got to be set up that you know that the employee has the the flexibility to part time work at home, part time work in the office. Um, but given that most of what we do is about innovation, collaboration, meeting design teams, reviewing design, uh, going to visit potential buildings that we're going to buy, um, going to visit buildings we're building, um, you know, it's a uh, it's a very interactive process that we're we're involved with but you know back to that kind of uh, that office post covid it's it's got to be uh it's got to be a world that 
uh, is technologically connected. Uh, but of course, the quid pro quo of that is your home needs to be technologically Absolutely. <laughs> connected. <laughs> and many people have lots of problems with uh, internet. And, you know, the office environment has got to be healthy. Mm. Um, you know, and driven out of that is things like the quality of air, mm. uh, your ability to uh, walk in the office, you know, to be able to use staircases that they're not hidden away behind an inaccessible kind of door um, and that you're not driven to just always get the lift, just one or two floors that, you know, typically people seem to be happy to walk up about three floors. The maniacs, of course, are happy to walk up five or six, you know, the fitness freaks, and that's fair enough. Um, But, you know, you really should be thinking about, um, you know, that kind of connectivity from when you get into the office to be able to walk to your desk rather than get in a lift. And, of course, that then also leads, you know, from a structural engineering point of view, many tenants then within their space, you know, say they're taking four floors of space within a a building, they want to create that interconnectivity for people to walk up and down in their space, in their space. So that's all about, that's all about cutouts and soft spots and... Designing for flexibility. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) So you're designing, you're designing it really for kind of that flexibility. Mm. And then, you know, the safety, the environment needs to be safe as well. Um, so, you know, you need to have adequate security in place. So it's uh, it's a kind of a big topic, but it's, it's, it's what you're kind of looking for, that kind of, uh, that ability for the, uh, for the office environment to be many things to many different people kind of thing. Mm. I think, uh, you know, office space that responds to, you know, some of the issues I've just been talking about. I mean, you know, there are other era. There's the whole sustainability agenda uh, as well, you know, whether it be net zero carbon or, um, you know, that's kind of like a massive ticket going forward. Mm. So I think there will be demand for good quality offices, yes. Um, I think the offices that fall below those kind of standards uh, will struggle. And in many ways, that's good for the uh, high-end office providers, people like us, because less space coming to the market equals more competition. Competition, yeah. yeah. So, but you have got the background of a recession mm. and you have got the uh, the background of a shrinking economy, um, people being made redundant and, um, you know, are, are people sort of saying, ah, I need less people now to do business because my workload has gone down. Mm. Um, so, I think that's the bigger ticket item rather than the COVID thing, you know, the recession and a reduction in demand. Do you yeah. think that will, the actual office itself though, will change? I mean, we talked a little bit, a uh, little bit earlier about, um, you know, kind of co-working spaces of which there are many now, but do you <laughs> think that that sort of level of flexibility and the idea of having perhaps more sort of purpose driven office space is, is something that might be attractive to, uh, to some tenants, perhaps not to the really big ones, but to, to perhaps to smaller tenants. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's always going to be a, a place in the market for co-working. I think it was something like five percent of the uh, office space in London is co-working. So there's another ninety-five percent that's not. It isn't yeah. Mm. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. um, it, it's probably slight. I, I don't know where the stats have gone, but it, it's never been you know, an enormous part of the office market in central London, you know, um, 
once your business gets to a certain size, you're no longer into being in co-working space with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, most most businesses, their ambition is to grow, so they will grow out of it. So yeah, I think there will always be a market for it. But I think you know, people who are successful in a co-working environment and manage to grow their business a bit bigger are, are then looking for a, a home of their own. And if you talk to people about um, the whole desk sharing routine, it's not popular. That whole thing of arriving, you know, with your kit bag of stuff in the morning and you then get allocated your desk to go and work at and you empty your stuff into the mobile pedestal or you empty your stuff into the locker. It, it's not, uh, you know, lots of people are very... Uh, anti that people like arriving at their desk with the photograph of their dog cat wife or children or whatever or their is that just a their... state of mind though or is that something we need to kind of change people's views of that it's only because that's what people have always I, done before i suppose i I, th- I think people feeling good about the bit of space that they're in is pretty mm. essential to being effective and efficient in a workplace and if you feel good because you've got a nice photograph or a nice model crane, tower crane or something like that in front of you, then I'm all for it. Mm. I feel good about being in the place you have to work. You, you touched on uh, sustainability very briefly earlier on. Mm. And I think, um, you know, clearly, uh, certainly I have seen, yeah, it's something we've been talking about for a long time, but it's something that I've seen uh, a lot in the last, particularly in the last six months, I would say. There's a big shift, I think, between a sort of a suddenly a realisation of the, of the industry that um, it's been pretty bad for a long time. Um, in terms of embodied carbon and, and carbon generally, and that, that we need to all do something about it. Um, mm. And I know, obviously, know that we're working with you um, on a couple of schemes where we're looking at, you know, how can we reduce embodied carbon? Something very important. But I'm also very aware that that Derwent are uh, signed up to the 2030 zero carbon, zero net carbon. Um, mm. And I just, it would just be good to get your thoughts, I suppose, really, on on kind of the benefits um, and the perceived benefits as well. You know, there's lots of talk about. Um, potential tenants actually wanting to see uh, and wanting to know that the buildings they occupy um, have been designed, um, you know, with with those aspects in mind as much as possible. Yeah, I suppose that's where it kind of started, really, um, for us in our customers, our tenants, uh, were saying that they were very interested in the sustainability credentials of our buildings that they were contemplating letting from us. And that seemed to be driven off of um, their workforce. Um, and if you talk to um, the, you know, the younger generation, um, one of their criteria for working where they want to work, where they work, you know, whatever business or organisation, is that that organisation has a strong sustainability agenda. Mm. And I suppose if you're in an interview and you can sort of say, yeah, we're in a net zero carbon building and, it's you know it's running at 25 percent less energy consumption than others then that's quite a good kind of uh segue into attracting that person to come and work for you there was also then you know chundering on in the background that general um sense of responsibility and accountability for the environment and about you know about the role of uh buildings in greenhouse gases the role of buildings in carbon uh, the role of buildings in energy consumption you know just actually the the burning of energy no matter where it kind of comes from 
And I think the whole kind of uh, net zero carbon uh, government initiative to 2050 kind of got everybody thinking, oh, okay, this is really interesting. How can we set forth with a genuine plan to arrive at a net zero carbon position? And actually, shouldn't we be able to do a bit better than 2050? And you'll see many of the prop codes have now adopted a 2030 target uh, mm. to go net zero carbon. Um, I don't think many have got such a detailed plan as we've got, uh, which is all mapped out on our website uh, and about how we're going to measure ourselves. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is increasingly important for the people who work within our buildings. Um, and it's an increasingly important aspect of that well-being sense that you have about being in the environment you're in. No, I mean, I've certainly seen, uh, you know, doors, when we were talking about this stuff probably two or three years ago, uh, you know, you kind of got some very strange looks from, from clients when yeah. you sort of thought we'll try and build a, build a uh, commercial building in timber. Yeah. And actually, the interesting thing is, is the door is open. We know there are challenges, and obviously, we've been talking to you about some of those yeah. very significant challenges, and we have to address those. But the benefits are really significant, and I think clients are now really seeing the benefits of of those those moves um, to try and yeah. reduce the embodied carbon. Being a big, you know, the embodied part of it being a a massive chunk. Uh, in fact, an ever increasing chunk as as we decarbonize the grid. The uh, the embodied aspects are becoming a kind of a bigger and bigger um, part that we we have to address. I mean, you know, so you as structural engineers will be a bit obsessed about embodied carbon in structure, mm. concrete, steel, yeah. timber. You know, I think it's interesting the way the construction industry has responded about, you know, cement-free concrete and reduced carbon steel coming out of electric furnaces, reuse, you know, the circular economy, yeah. DLT, uh, people definitely getting better at that, which is great. There's also the whole kind of energy, how much energy the building uses when it's running. So the whole world of mechanical and electrical services is, uh, you know, another really important aspect of carbon and uh, buildings. And uh, it, it would be not, you know, I think the services industry has caught up a lot, but it's, there are two tracks going there. There's how much energy you're using in building the building and how much carbon you're putting into it is then how much carbon is it going to burn over its, say, 60-year life or whatever, Yeah, uh, which is really important. So, so you again, you mentioned uh, a word, there's circular, or two words, the circular economy, um, which yep. is something that, that we have a, a great deal of interest in, obviously, as engineers. Um, yep. And, you know, the, the sort of the old adage of, of kind of extract, use, and then, you know, kind of chuck it away afterwards is something that, that clearly has got to change fundamentally. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're actually looking at a, uh, we're doing a bit of R&D that sort of sits around, you know, the reuse of materials. And we're talking about principally structural materials, mm-hmm. other materials, but we're, we're obviously interested particularly in the structural aspects. And, that, and that's something that I think is, um, is really interesting, is actually how can we reuse rather than just downcycle materials that come out of existing buildings, um, yep. but also how can we design for the future so that future buildings are much easier to kind of deconstruct um, than yeah. current ones, and then obviously yeah. you use those materials. Again, is this something that you've you've been sort of um, thinking about at Derwent at all? Or yeah, we're massively. I'm I am a great fan of uh, uh, design for manufacture, design for building, mm. and uh, you know we're certainly uh, seeing that on many of our projects. I mean, you know, H Charlotte Street, you know, which you sit opposite in, in mm. your office. Um, you know, there's a steel frame, precast concrete planks, 
um, preformed cladding panels. So it did kind of clip together as a kit of parts. Um, the problem as ever with uh, with buildings, you know, the current stage of technology we seem to be at is joining all the bits together, mm-hmm. uh, joining joining the planks to the steel. There always has to be a little complicated detail or there's a complicated weatherproofing detail when the cladding gets put on or the roof is also a bit of a complicated detail at the edge. And, you know, it's very interesting now that we're doing Soho Place, which we're doing with Langer Rock. And we sorted out a lot of those design interface issues, uh, working with the contractor and working with industry uh, to work it out how it would be put together. And, um, you know, we pushed hard on it on the Featherstone building once going up at the moment where the big prefabricated brick and window panels, you know, being made in Latvia and then being transported over here. So, yeah, we're, we're very keen for it. I do think uh, architects engineers accepting your good selves of course uh need to think a lot lot harder about how buildings are put together on construction sites uh i think you know the advent of the uh, computer and the ability to do anything on a computer any shape size anything you like Mm. has not helped Mm. and i think they need to work with industry a lot more than they do a lot lot more than they do you need to be talking to the people who actually make things and put things together mm. and not being uh, in a sort of an isolated camp of your own of just designing on a computer screen. I think organisations like B&K, B&K, B&Q, I was about to say that, <laughs> and Stemfield uh, understand that they've got to be commercially realistic. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm very much on for engaging with people like that very early on in the feast because mm. um, I say I I really do trust people who put buildings together I, I couldn't do you know Richard I couldn't agree more and I think um, you know we've, we've done quite a lot with B&K over the years and um, you know without mentioning names I think we find it really beneficial to get them involved right at the early stages so that you understand yeah. about logistics you understand so you can actually design you're designing your buildings around the real situation and the logistics and the, the challenges yeah. that you're actually going to face. So will you be designing your buildings in the future then so that you can dismantle them? Is that, is that the plan? Yeah, well, it's, I, it's good. I, I, I dismantle, um, uh, dismantle, dismantle. Um, Take them apart carefully. Take I think components <laughs> of it you would like to be able to dismantle. But, you know, if I, if I go back to the white collar factory, you know the white collar factory, mm. the old street roundabout one where we've done a very kind of um, robust concrete frame and floors and uh, we put concrete core cooling. So we put the cooling into the concrete. I couldn't see us ever wanting to dismantle that because we've created a floor to ceiling height of four metres and you can do anything you like in that. Mm. Um, so you built in flexibility, basically. Yeah, I could see us at one day stripping that building, you know, in, I don't know, 100 years' time or whatever, way after all of us are gone, I can see people stripping that building back to its uh, back to its concrete frame and saying, okay, well, we've got the pipes in the concrete as well, the cooling, um, but I could see everything else changing on it. Mm. But you'd be able to reuse that concrete frame. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's the kind of position I think you'd want to get to, that... The how can I put it? The uh, the skeleton of the building, the structure, 
is genuinely reusable. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the challenges, of course, is that you know, we we if we continue to build in concrete, for example, and this is not about demountability; it's just the embodied carbon aspect. Is is that you're utilising carbon now rather than yeah. carbon now? And I think so. Whilst you're absolutely right, that may well, ha- you know, maybe there for a hundred, two hundred years um, in the future, and therefore sort of reusable in the future. The the problem is that it doesn't reduce the the kind of use of carbon now. I think where you've got to go to is the cement-free concrete, isn't it? Yeah, the trouble is that cement-free concrete uses GGBS on a very big yeah. scale, and GGBS it comes from a bad, it comes from a bad process. Power stations, um, doesn't it? Uh. Yeah, and and there's actually only enough GGBS to support about twenty five percent of the world supply of concrete. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't. So whilst you can sort of solve it on a project by project basis, you can't solve it on a world basis. Yeah. World yeah. solution. So. Yeah. So really, the only way to do it is to use less concrete, basically. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of talk at the moment about kind of material stores, so that our buildings of the future will be rather than being seen as buildings, and this this kind of features into, I suppose, the circular economy and. You know how that might change the way people buy materials. You know whether they might be leased in the future. There's even discussions about you know structural materials may be leased rather than bought, which might be an yeah. interesting model. Um, and so the, the buildings just become sort of material stores um, that you know all about. You know all the, the details of all of those elements that go into that building, so that at the end of use, end of life, um, those uh, those can come back out again and can be reused because you know everything about them. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah. we need to start, I suppose, in a sense, we need to start thinking about that and designing our buildings around that if we if we believe that that is the future or that is part of the future. It's not necessarily the whole future, obviously, but, but yeah. it, it certainly has to be a part of it, I believe. Fantastic. Well, uh, Richard, thank you very much indeed for taking the time out to... No, it's a pleasure, my friend. It's been really good. It's been really good and really insightful as well. Yeah, pleasure. Some of the things that uh, that you're thinking of. And um, let's hope we all get back to some form of normality in the early in the new year. Why not join the conversation? If you or someone you know is striving for change and would like to join our show, please let us know. And of course, do share any views or comments from today at ttdm at elliotwood.co.uk or visit our website to learn more about the work we're doing in the built environment and beyond.